chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for that evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came out and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Chapter 4 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do, you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The word of the Lord. So hopefully that passage makes you want to dance, hey? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it is a pretty solemn and biting response that Jonah has to God. In two places in this story, we see Jonah run away, or we see him out and out yelling defiantly at God, telling him that, God, you don't know better than me. Now, I'll just let you know, Jonah is possibly my favorite prophet. He's maybe my, my favorite book of the Bible, quite honestly. I, I've probably preached, I don't know, 25, 30 sermons over the book of Jonah. I spent one whole month uh, doing a whole sort of study through the book of Jonah. And I think there's a couple of reasons why that might be the case. One, one is that it's, just, it, I mean, it's fantastical, right? I mean, this, here's this guy, and he's in the belly of this fish, and it's kind of like Pinocchio, and he builds all sorts of furniture and, you know, makes a living there until he gets spit out of the giant 
well? I mean, it's just amazing. And as a kid, you hear it and you're like, what in the world? Now, if you're like me, you thought, that would be cool to live in a fish. I would like to do that. That would be awesome. It could be that Jonah, uh, probably when he was spat out of the fish, looked a lot like me, bald and pale. And so I identify with him uh, a little bit more as a, as a prophet. But I think over the years of studying Jonah and looking at Jonah, I've become to understand that really Jonah is less about him and much more about God and his pursuit and what God is about. But for our series, what we're looking at is broken people, right? Broken people and a whole God. Broken people understanding that our brokenness does not eliminate us from the kingdom of God. Our brokenness doesn't keep us from God. Our brokenness, in fact, is used by God. It is worked through by God to bring us into holiness, into truth living, into that right relationship or that whole relationship with Him and with ourselves and with others, and with place. And so I want to kind of dig into Jonah a little bit and so that we can see his brokenness. And what we see where his brokenness resides is that he really is unknowingly broken. I think that when we see Jonah, we recognize that he really has no clue at points at how broken he really is. So, so here's the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. He's chosen by God. And he's doing good work. He, he, he's pretty comfortable in what he's doing. And then God all of a sudden taps him on the shoulder and says, I need you to go to this wicked, evil city. This city that is on the march. This land that will eventually take over Judah and Israel. So they're enemies. They're, they're not people to be trifled with. They're not folks that you would want to go get to know necessarily. And Jonah, it gets tapped on the shoulder by God and says, I want you to go there. And oftentimes we can sit back and think, well, Jonah, you should have gone there. God asked you. God says it, you do it. That's the way it works. But instead, Jonah believes that he knows better. He recognizes something about God there, but in his unknowing brokenness, he believes that he knows better. God, you surely can't mean to go to this evil, depraved generation, this city that is mean and ugly and rude. You can't mean those people need your message of mercy. You clearly can't mean that. And so what does he do? He leaves. He actually is trying to get as far away as possible. He's wanting to get a boat to Spain. And to be honest, if you're going to run away from God, that's not a bad place to go. Spain's got great food and great culture, right? And that's where he's heading. He's wanting to get out away. Here's how we know how unknowingly broken Jonah is. When he gets into the boat and they get away from the land, just as they get far enough away from the land, God calls this mighty wind and this storm to come. And everybody begins to panic. All the sailors, these men who have been on boats for years and years and years, they begin to think, we're going down. And so they start throwing cargo over. And they're looking around, trying to figure out what's going on. And they're all calling out to their own gods and their own idols and saying, we need to be saved. And where's Jonah? Asleep. Asleep. 
That's how unknowingly broken he is. He doesn't recognize that his place, his belief that he's so right and that God is so wrong has withdrawn him completely from all community. That he has become a hindrance and not a help to those around him. That his unknowing of his brokenness allows him to sleep, not concerned with the cares of those around him, not concerned with the tragedy that is about to take place. So unbroken and so unknowing about it. So the captain comes down and he wakes him up and he says, you've got to do something. You, You need to pray to your God. And here's where we get a glimmer that Jonah maybe knows a little bit more than he's letting on. Because he says, well, I worship, I'm a Hebrew, (laughs) and I worship the God who has control over all the earth and all the sea. Throw me over. And these men are like, no, there's no way we're doing that. We'll row harder. They're a little bit unknowing about their brokenness as well. At that point, they think they can bring salvation to themselves. They think they're the ones that are going to be able to get back to the shore. Now, these are men who have sailed their whole lives. Can you imagine them thinking in the midst of this storm, maybe the worst storm that they've ever seen in their life, so much so that they've thrown over the cargo that they were supposed to take someplace. Do you realize that means when they land, they're not going to get paid? All they care about is their life. But what they've decided is, we'll row harder. And they do it, but they can't move anywhere. And so they say, what do we need to do? Jonah says, toss me over. So they do. They pick him up, and they throw him over. And they pray, don't don't punish us, oh Hebrew God, for this innocent man. Not innocent. And immediately, storm stops, and a giant fish, as he's sinking down, takes Jonah in. Well, after three days, Jonah gets spit out, and God says to him, go to Nineveh, the place that I told you to go. And he says, okay. And so he goes, and he proclaims to Nineveh that destruction is coming. You need to turn away. And all of them fast, and they rent their clothes, and they repent, and they turn, and God saves them. Now, if all of a sudden, in Fremantle, God was bringing all sorts of people to himself, and there were lots of people responding to his relentless pursuit of love. Understand here, God is pursuing them. He's running after them. He's longing for them. Instead of just coming in and annihilating them, instead of just wiping them off the face of the earth, he's coming in and saying to them, there is a place of wholeness for you. Repent. So let's say in Fremantle that begins to happen and there's all sorts of people. What do you think, as those of us who are God botherers, those of us who are followers of Christ, what would our reaction be? What do you think it would be? If all of a sudden we were like 300 people banging on the doors to come in here, wouldn't we be excited? Wouldn't we want to have a celebration? Wouldn't we be like, yes, God, all right. And what does Jonah do? kicks dirt, walks up the hill, and waits, hoping that God will change his mind and wipe them out. How unknowingly broken he is. 
See, still, even in the midst of obedience, even in the midst of doing, maybe even begrudgingly what God has asked him to do, he doesn't recognize that he still in his heart feels like, I know better than you. I know best, God. You surely don't want these people saved. You surely don't want these people. And he goes up. And that's the passage that Jeannie read for us. Not only is he angry, he says this, kill me now. There's some sense that you feel like he was like, why didn't you just leave me in the belly of the giant fish? Many commentators believe that Jonah probably didn't live for the three days that he was there. That he died. And that when he was spit back up that he was resurrected. Could be. It could be that he was already dead. And so God's like, I've done that. <laughs> and I've brought you back. Because I have a purpose and a mean for you. You see, Jonah, when he is in his rightness, he is no good for himself. He is no good for those who are around him. He is no good, but he's still good for God. Here's the thing that I want you to catch about the whole God. That in his rightness, he's no good for himself because he's withdrawing from that relationship. He's no good for those around him because he doesn't even want to interact with him. As a matter of fact, he sees himself as better than they are. But God, but God still moves towards him. God in his wholeness, in his completeness, in his authorship of right wholeness comes in and says, no, I will, I will draw you back to myself. I will show you how merciful I am. And we get a glimpse of that in Jonah. Because Jonah says of God, <laughs> oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my homeland before I came here? This is why I was in such a hurry to flee somewhere else. Because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In his unknowing brokenness, God is already transforming Jonah's heart, just as he had transformed the hearts of those sailors when they worship after they throw Jonah over and they recognize salvation, just as those in Nineveh have turned back to God, his relentless pursuit of them gives them mercy and steadfast love. That See, God's wholeness is steadfast love. God's wholeness is relentless pursuit of us. God's wholeness is bringing us into complete relationship. And he is slow to anger and merciful, relenting of disaster. But Jonah here believes that they deserve disaster. I think one of the most interesting things about Jonah is this. At this time, Jonah is conflicted. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh for two reasons. One, he believes that he's better than them. 
that they don't deserve it. He's an Israelite. He's chosen by God. There's no reason for me to go forth. Now, he's forgotten that God has called all of them through Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. That God is actually pursuing all peoples through his people group, through his particular tribe. But the second thing that could be going on in Jonah is this. These Ninevites, these Assyrians are on the march. They're taking over land as they're going. And they will eventually take over Judah and Israel. They will eventually put them in slavery and take them into exile. And so there could be some fear. Because really, in the way that it was situated, is the Ninevites were the power people. They were the ones who were in power. And Jonah was from an oppressed class, or soon-to-be oppressed class of people. And so he maybe was concerned about saving them. He was maybe concerned about having them have the ability to move forward. Wouldn't it just be better, Lord, if the oppressors were killed <laughs> now so we don't have to worry about it? Oftentimes, isn't that where we're at? When we see the scourge that is in the world and the evil that seems to be taking over the world, don't we sometimes sit back and say, Lord, wouldn't it just be easier if you would get rid of all the bad people? Wouldn't it just be easier if all those that were evil you would just disseminate and take care of? That's really what Jonah was feeling. But the reality is God says, you don't know who are mine. You don't know my working. You don't understand where I'm moving. And so you need to move into a whole relationship with me, which means that you trust that I know what's best. You trust that I am in control. You trust that I will bring about my glory and goodness for all people. And that's hard for us to do. I think one of the more interesting things, too, and particularly in my home country is that we actually most often as I look across the faces here we might not feel this way but today we're the power class today we're the ones who have power we're the ones that are leading we're the ones who are not the refugee and the oppressed. In the States right now, there's this movement of football players, oh, pardon me, gridiron players, who are kneeling down during our national anthem of the United States. And across the board, there are many people having reactions to this. Some are supportive, and many are voicing their displeasure about it and how it's not the correct way to do it and where they're at. In some ways, what they've done is they've taken the symbol of power that is the national anthem and the power structure, and they have used it in order to show how they feel oppressed. Now, those who have started this movement have said they've done it out of honor. That's the reason why they kneel, is out of honor. But others don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe that. And so the responsive have been 
very um, aggressive at times, burning jerseys and saying they'll never go to the football matches, the gridiron matches again, burning their season tickets, saying that those people don't respect or believe in what America stands for. Some have even received death threats because of it. I think the people of Nineveh show us how we should respond as power brokers, as those who are in power. When someone points out to us where we are oppressive, where somebody points out to us where we are not seeing their hurts and their struggle, our response should be, Uh, one of repentance. Our response should not be one of discounting what they're saying. Now, listen, I don't necessarily agree with all of the protesters and all the things that they're saying. But I know that in the kingdom of God, the response of anyone who hears truth is to respond to it with repentance. Not with justification. That's what Jonah does. Jonah says, see, I told you you were this way. That's why I didn't want to come. Because I'm right and you're wrong. But the Ninevites, having this man who was soon to be oppressed by them, show up, heard his message, because the Lord had prepared the way for that. And they responded in repentance to it. It doesn't matter if we don't like the way that they're protesting. It doesn't matter if we don't like the means or the method that they're saying. What matters is we have to seek out the truth of God's mercy and steadfast love in it. And when we see it and hear it, we respond with repentance. Just like the Ninevites did. They responded with repentance. If anybody in this story is so knowing of their brokenness... It is them. They recognize it completely when they are told about it. Yes, we're evil. Yes, we're mean. Yes, we're about ourselves. Yes, we are oppressors. And they respond that way. You see, it's when we are unknowingly broken, it's when we decide to live in the bubble that there can't be anything possibly wrong with us. We must be completely aligned with what God has created us to do that we began to dismiss all those around us. We begin to live in a place where we can no longer move to repentance, which is what God calls us to do in all of our lives. That our posture should always be one of running towards repentance, of saying, where is it that I have hurt? Where is it that I have elevated myself above others? And then it moves us into community with one another. It moves us into life with one another where we grab each other in, where we see each other's brokenness, where we remind each other of our brokenness. It's the reason why we pray a prayer of confession, so we can remember. And in doing that, then we are made whole by God in his pursuit for us.
Jonah's interesting. Because at the beginning, he doesn't have a clue. And at the end, he has a clue, but he still believes that he's right. But in chapter 2, he says this. I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your bellows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought me up and my life from the pit. O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation becomes to the Lord. Because then, at that moment, he is fully aware of his brokenness and he cries out to God and God swoops in and saves him. We are the same. And so we have to ask, what group of people do I feel like don't deserve the mercy of God? Is it my best friend who we've had a falling out? Is it a particular group of people who... I can label and put a name on and stick them over there so I don't have to worry about them anymore? Is it myself? Who there's no way I believe that God has any desire for me at all. If it is, go to the belly of the well. Go to the giant fish so that you can see your brokenness and recognize salvation. And move then in repentance towards that. Oftentimes people believe Jonah's a myth. I would just say this. Jesus says, the only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah. Now what he's talking about there is his resurrection. And that's the power of God that brings us new life. That death on the cross and that resurrection is the thing that brings us into whole completeness. It looks at your brokenness and says, yes, I see it and it is beautiful unto me because I have made it whole. So if Jesus believes that it's true, then I will always and forever Say, Jonah's just not some giant fish story. But it is a place where we recognize our brokenness can lead us to repentance. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us.